Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. So uh, you are probably following just a little bit. You've probably heard about this story about the IVF patients, in vitro fertilization patients in Alabama. Um, about four years ago, somebody wandered into the area at a hospital where a clinic existed and somehow was able to get their hands on the frozen embryos that some couples had you know, turned in or were being developed for later implantation so they could have kids. These are stored, what is it, cryogenically or cryonically at 360 degrees, I believe, below zero. The person who, very little has been written about how this exactly happened, but somebody who wasn't authorized went into this area, got their hand on that container. It's 360 degrees below zero. It's burning their hands. They drop it, and I guess these embryos are destroyed. So the couples that were trying to have kids via this process were suing for, were, were suing and typically you could sue for negligence or, or some other laws that are broken already on the books. But they were suing for, um, what was the exact title of the uh, potential crime here? But essentially it was terminating a life. And we talked about this on Friday on the show. Heather Cox Richardson wrote about how overtly religious the justices were that said that this is something that when you destroy embryos is the same as destroying a life. Nikki Haley said that embryos are babies, and the Supreme Court in Alabama rather agreed with that. But then there was that op-ed in Newsweek written by one of their editors, and he said, let's not get hysterical about this. That was the court rightly following the law. So regardless about what the justices or you and I think about this, our embryos babies, the law in Alabama is so written. And since then, the governor and even Democrats and Republicans in Alabama have said we need to correct this law, but they haven't done it yet, and it's not sure what's going to happen in the meantime. Okay, so that's sort of a summary of what's happened. But I wondered, there's a million questions about this very process and business, and one wonders then if this is going to set some precedent that will migrate to other states. Say, a state like Iowa, where they're much more conservative about this, six weeks uh, is the window after which you can't get an abortion in Iowa. Illinois, of course, is much more liberal about these things. Dr. Kara Goldman is the Medical Director of Fertility Preservation at Northwestern Medicine, and she joins us now. Doctor, thanks for giving us some of your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Did I miss something in my fast summary there of some of the principal points? What were you thinking as you heard me talk? No, you you got it. You covered it. You know, they are they specifically sued for wrongful death yeah. of a minor. Um, so that was what the lawsuit was. Um, and, you know, it is it is having profound implications across the state of Alabama and across the, the U.S. You all, uh, so there's a clinic that does this at Northwestern. Is that what you do? Yes, that's correct. So I direct our fertility preservation program, but I am a reproductive endocrinologist and fertility specialist. And that means taking care of patients who have infertility, who are at risk of having infertility because of cancer treatment or other medical treatments, Mm -hmm. um, kind of taking care of the whole spectrum of patients who need 
to achieve a pregnancy. It's just ironic, isn't it, that people who are trying to have children are so angry about the destruction of their embryos that they have, in fact, now made it certain nobody in that state will be able to have children this way. Hello, Tommy Tuberville. That's exactly what's going to happen. We'll have less children as a result of this, right? Right. I mean, this is, you know, the irony is that in kind of seeking to be pro-life, like we are, uh, this this legislation is is going to lead to a lot of unintended childlessness, a lot of infertility. Um, you know, IVF requires a number of steps in order to achieve a successful pregnancy. We know that not every egg and not every embryo will lead to a baby. That is just scientifically true. Like it is a highly inefficient process to get from egg to embryo to baby. So to call all embryos potential babies is just scientifically inaccurate. And anyone who has struggled with infertility knows that, that, you know, to go through IVF for infertility often requires many, many, many cycles with many failed embryo transfers. Most embryos will not yield a baby. Each of those now in Alabama, a crime. Correct. Um, And there is no scientific merit to this. It is incredibly dangerous and um, destructive and will have um, just lasting implications for so many patients. And I'm just grieving for the patients of Alabama right now. No, the court there didn't say that it was based on science. It was based on the law in Alabama. But I'm more interested in the science and the process. For instance, so then the destruction of, say, you have, I don't know, when, when you have in vitro fertilization, how many eggs and sperm, how many embryos would you typically harvest or create for a couple? Because if you only want one kid, then I presume right. the others are destroyed. And in, and in Alabama's case, they're not saying that you can't do IVF. They're simply saying you can't destroy these nascent babies. So you would have to keep them in perpetuity, maybe. You'd never kill them, but you'd never um, bring them to life, if you will. Uh, how many of those typically happen for a couple? Right. So if someone is going through IVF, I can talk through kind of what the process is very, um, at, you know, at a high level, um, just to, just for the purposes of the sure. conversation. Please but do. essentially it's about a, yeah, it's about a two week process where a patient, um, the female partner injects herself with a hormone that basically stimulates the ovaries to grow multiple follicles. And the follicles are the structures that contain eggs. And in a typical cycle, you ovulate one egg from one follicle. And in IVF, we're trying to recruit more like 10, 15, or 20 follicles that contain eggs. And so it's essentially a year's worth of eggs, you know, in one cycle to make the process more efficient. We then extract those eggs, and so it's a minor procedure that we do in our um, in our procedure room that's attached to a laboratory, and the procedure is about 15 minutes. We use a little needle that goes into the ovary. We retrieve all of the eggs that have been stimulated, and those eggs in the laboratory are either frozen or injected with sperm, and when those eggs and sperm meet, about 70% of those will fertilize. So let's say we have, you know, 10 eggs, we might have, you know, seven that fertilize normally. And of those, we grow them to the blastocyst stage. So that's the stage where an embryo is ready to be implanted into a uterus, but um, there are still many steps for it to be a baby. Um, And about, you know, 40% or so will make it to that final stage. So of those initial 10 eggs, 
you may only have two, three, four embryos that make it to that final stage. And then depending on the age of the egg, the age of the the ovary, the age of the woman, um, you know, a very small proportion of those will actually have normal chromosomes, meaning 46XX or 46XY. And this is where we see lots of chromosome problems. You know, at the time of fertilization, we can have problems like extra copies of chromosomes or missing copies of chromosomes. And so when you really drill down and you get those initial 10 eggs, you may have one normal embryo or none. And so many patients have to do many, many cycles to identify the embryo that will actually yield the baby. If you had two or more, though, and the couple only wanted one child, what would happen to those other viable embryos? Uh, pardon mm-hmm. me if I'm and, using and the wrong word. No, no. You you know, it's exactly right. So essentially, let's say we have, at the end of a cycle, let's say we have three embryos that look like they could potentially be, you know, successful in implantation. So we have, you know, three usable embryos. We might transfer one up front and the other two remain frozen. And for many patients, that means that's their second child, that's their third child potentially. And so many patients, let's say I see someone who's 39 or 40 years old and she wants more than one child. We may intentionally do multiple cycles of IVF to freeze a few embryos so that she can have one baby now. And then when she's Mm -hmm. 43, have her second baby then. So many of these patients do come back to use their embryos, but by definition, we have to create a surplus of embryos in order to yield a baby because there's so much inefficiency. And even a normal healthy embryo only implants and creates a baby 60 to 70% of the time. Hmm. Um, And how many days old are these embryos when they're implanted? Five. So they have only been growing in culture for five days. How many, is this a fair question? How many cells do they represent? How large are they? You know, I'm trying to get my head around Mm -hmm. how evolved they are. About 100, 150 cells. So, you know, when we first have an embryo, it's got, you know, two cells, basically, you know, the nucleus of the egg and the sperm, and then it grows, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, five days, it doubles. And so we eventually get to, you know, mm-hmm. 100. And, and so when we biopsy an embryo, we can see the distinction between the part that's going to become the placenta and the part that's going to become the fetus. But that's the extent of the distinction. You know, these cells all are, um, you know, still very, very early. Yeah. And um, to your point earlier, I just wanted to clarify, you had said that, you know, why can't we just do IVF with the, you know, the eggs that we're going to use? Um, really, it's because of the inefficiency. So we can't just get one egg and hope that that's going to be the embryo because the chances that that's going to be an embryo that's going to yield a baby are really low. Um, and the clinics that have shut down, they're not just shutting down because, you know, of the fear of keeping embryos frozen and keeping these embryos frozen in perpetuity. The issue is that, you know, if you then are are calling an embryo an unborn child and, and giving that embryo legal protections, then that clinic is liable for anything that happens to those embryos. And so I have, you know, friends and colleagues who practice in Alabama, they're devastated for their patients. They don't want to shut down. This is like they truly believe, of course, that they need to be offering this care. But if they could be sued, if an embryo doesn't make it to a certain stage, or, you know, we, we don't know what this looks like legally. Um, so I think right now there's just no access to this care because people don't know what this is going to mean for practitioners. Talking to Dr. Kara Goldman, the Medical Director of Fertility Preservation at Northwestern Medicine. And I heard a scenario, too, where, say, in extracting or moving an egg from, 
location A to location B, somewhere in the lab as this process evolves, maybe you make a mistake and the egg is, is damaged in some way. According to the law in Alabama, you have now, or, or perhaps the embryo itself, multicellular as it is, but I mean, you, you've committed a crime now. I, one wonders how in the world you would ever begin to police that, but I can see where these clinics would, 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 would find it almost impossible to do that business given the sort of numbers and viability that you've described to us. Is there any concern that this sets a precedent? And if so, is there a concern that something like that would come to Illinois? So, you know, right, to reiterate that, you know, there are so many things that can happen to an egg and embryo. Uh, you know, the, the people who work in, in embry- you know, in our embryology labs and the people who are taking care of patients like myself and my colleagues, you know, we, the most important thing to us is taking care of our patients and offering the best care. So the chance of something like that happening, like an embryo being dropped, or, you know, that is, it, it, it's unheard of. It really doesn't happen. But you know, all of the other things, like the embryo doesn't develop appropriately, or, you know, something happens where that that would otherwise happen, if that could be policed, you're absolutely right, that it's devastating to think about, you know, how that could, you know, what the implications could be for a clinic, um, knowing that this is just part of the inefficiency of the process. Um, To your second point, could this happen in Illinois? Thankfully, in Illinois, we have um, exceptional protections, And, you know, we we practice in a state that values reproductive choice. And, you know, that means our patients who require fertility preservation, who require care for infertility, currently have some of the best protections in the country. Um, You know, what this means for our state long-term, I'm not sure, except that right now, you know, we're focused on what can we do for our colleagues and the patients in Alabama, what does this mean for kind of the surrounding states? Because, you know, patients probably are going to try to access care in surrounding states if they oh, yeah. have the means to. Yeah. Um, but th- this, you know, certainly could have ripple effects across the country and, and, and in how IVF is practiced. After hearing that story about what happened in Alabama at the IVF clinic where a couple had actually it was more than one couple, but their embryos were accidentally destroyed and they sued the hospital and the clinic for wrongful death. As it turns out of a minor in Alabama, they say that at conception, that's fully protected life. And so even an embryo in a lab frozen has the same protection as you or I. So now we have a crime, if you will. So now what happens? We're talking to Dr. Kara Goldman, the medical director of fertility preservation at Northwestern Medicine about this. By the way, doctor, among the text messages, 815 says, thank you for bringing the correct IVF information to the public. Having been through this process, I was angered by the misinformation this law has brought about and the harm it will cause. Somebody else said, it's amazing to hear how difficult it is to create life. A good reminder of how precious life is and a miracle we are here at this moment and alive. You know, doctor, I did want to say this. I am sensitive to people who feel that life begins at conception, um, if that's a religious view or maybe their own view of the science of it all. I mean, when do we go from being a human being and not? Somewhere along that way. And I'm sensitive to the idea that we would, after having maybe had a viable embryo implanted, and that's all the couple wants, then destroy an embryo that could otherwise be life. 
Um, what, what is your thought about that? Um, I, I don't mean to just dismiss that. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think that that is where we individualize our care with patients. There are patients who are not comfortable with IVF at all, in which case we will try every fertility treatment possible to to not use IVF. And in some cases, IVF is just the is is absolutely necessary to achieve a pregnancy. And if someone's not comfortable, then we don't pursue it. But for those who are uncomfortable with having surplus embryos, in those cases, we can fertilize just a small number of eggs to try to achieve just a current pregnancy and not have embryos frozen Mm -hmm. at risk of not being pregnant. But for them, having embryos frozen and and discarding embryos would be worse than not being pregnant. So we can individualize care. But this is where that conversation has to be between a physician and their patient. And when legislators come in and tell us how to practice medicine, we can't practice good medicine. Historically, when IVF was practiced before we were good at freezing embryos, that's where we saw really high order multiple gestations because you would get X number of embryos, someone couldn't afford to do IVF again, you would put all those embryos back into the patient's uterus and they would have quintuplets or you know really high order multiples and that's very dangerous for the patient and for the babies. And so the best way to have a healthy pregnancy is one embryo at a time. And then we, you know, whatever embryos are not used, we can use them for future pregnancies to have another safe, healthy pregnancy. Um, The other part that we didn't talk about that I want to make sure to address is the impact on patients with cancer. And I don't know if you were going to have time to talk about that or not, but in patients who have cancer and have to preserve fertility, the only option is we freeze eggs or embryos to use at a later date, later time, once they've finished their cancer treatment. And so if we don't have the option to freeze embryos, then that patient will be infertile after their cancer treatment. You said that you had friends or colleagues that are in the same practice as you there in Alabama. I said this is a crime, but is this a civil action or have actual criminal charges been filed against the the people involved? Do you know? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Any last things you think we should know? It's all fascinating. (laughs) I have a friend who is going through this process right now, um, and they spoke about how hopeful they are, how amazing and exciting it is, how expensive it is. Um, mm-hmm. People that are committed to this are committing more than just their time. It's, it's a lot of money. Uh, insurance, I don't think, pays for much of this, does it? In Illinois, it does. So we have legislation here that um, essentially requires insurance companies, and of course there are limitations, to cover fertility treatments. Illinois is, um, is a minority and, you know, compared to other states, like we, we have excellent coverage here. We have excellent coverage for fertility preservation. Um, so I think Illinois identifies that infertility is a medical disease, which it is, mm. um, and that it, it covers it as such. Now, that coverage is variable. So someone might have four cycles of IVF covered in a year through their employer. Someone may have a $10,000 lifetime maximum, which doesn't cover very much, unfortunately. And so there's a wide range. And unfortunately, patients who are on um, public insurance typically don't have coverage unless you're in Illinois and have a cancer diagnosis. So there are lots of carve outs um, and, and certainly patients who live in Indiana, but, um, you know, but get their care at Northwestern, unfortunately, because they're based in Indiana or Wisconsin, they don't have coverage. So it's very state based. Um, but, you know, I think that what I want to kind of emphasize here is that 
there are so many patients' lives who are being disrupted right now. And if we think about the patients who are currently undergoing cycles in Alabama and had to stop, not only can they not pursue future cycles, they might have embryos frozen. They can't get those embryos transferred back to them, and they can't transfer those embryos out of state because the shipping companies, as you alluded to, have stopped shipping embryos. So their care is being held hostage. They cannot pursue care for their disease of infertility. Um, this is just unprecedented. And, you know, for our cancer patients in Alabama who are starting breast cancer treatment in two weeks and need to preserve fertility, mm -hmm. they don't have options. You know, this is really, um, it, it's just profoundly devastating for so many families. You know, I don't know if I'm more frustrated with the court or the legislature in Alabama, but what were you thinking then would happen to all of these frozen lives that are sitting there at 360 or some odd degrees below zero? So what are we going to do with those, y'all? I mean, what's, what's the plan now? And I don't think they thought that through. Dr. Cara Goldman is a medical director of fertility preservation at Northwestern Medicine. Fascinating. So helpful today, doctor. We have made may have more questions down the road as this story progresses. But thank you so much for your help today. Thank you very much for having me.